Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. Hello, this is your host, Felicia Gopal. With me today, I have Jim Northrum. Jim is going to be talking to us about a subject that business owners could get a lot of benefit from. He basically was sharing with me before we got on the phone today that service and hospitality is one of the biggest employers behind government in the United States. And I just wanted to kind of start with giving you a little bit of his bio. Jim started College Bound Company as a third-party administrator for educational assistance plans, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that. The College Bound Program is one of the few programs in the country that's designated to bring this tax-exempt benefit to high school and college-age employees in the corporate sector. Student employee participants have been paid over a million and a half dollars in qualified plan benefits to date through their plans. So I just ask you to join me in welcoming Jim. Jim, are you there? I am, and hello to those who are listening to the podcast. I was going to say I hope that everybody listening finds this information interesting and feels it's a good use of their time. I'm sure they will, because one of the things that I think is always true is people like to know about other things that they haven't been exposed to, and I think that this is something that business employers can definitely get a lot of benefit out of it. But let me ask you, what was your inspiration to start the College Bound Company? In high school, I worked for a grocery chain and was pretty committed part-time employee. I was in sports as well, but I was only in one sport, so only a part of my year at that time was taken up with sports, and then the rest of the year I was pretty much free. So I worked a part-time job pretty consistently through high school. I really liked it. It was, uh, like I say, with a grocery chain. And instead of going off to college right out of high school, I decided to go work as a manager for them. And six months after that, decision, I had an auto accident that took me right out of the picture for the next four years. And I wanted to stay in that grocery industry because I really enjoyed it, but there was simply no track for me in that type of industry. If you can work your way up into a management position by actually physically working hard and making an impression that way, you can move up into management. And if you can't do the physical labor, there really is no other track for you to make the move up from you know entry-level person to a full store manager and then district manager and regional manager and so on. And I thought at the time, that's too bad. There should be some other track for me to go on. And I started noodling about what would companies do? I mean, what should they be doing? And that's what led me to start College Bound. Is it fair to say that what ignited your passion about creating College Bound is the accident that you had that took you out of the grocery industry for four years, I'm assuming, as part of recovery? 
correct. It was recovery, and yet it wasn't in a full recovery for all that period of time. You know, I had some surgeries, was going to have to have a number of surgeries over a period of time that I knew about and thought, you know, I should be able to go back and work part-time or at least go back and work full-time for a part of the year until the next surgery came up. And obviously that's difficult for an employer to manage, but as a young person, I thought, I should be able to try this, and I did, and it didn't work out because I simply couldn't do the physical labor. And it was simply a matter of me at the time thinking, it's too bad. This company is, <laughs> in my own opinion, they were losing a really good person <laughs> because there was no other track to go on to stay connected to the company. And because of the expense of this accident and all of the additional problems that it caused, I wasn't in a position to pay for tuition at that time myself. And so I started thinking about, you know, why don't companies do more in this area? Why aren't they more committed to the people who are coming into their business as young people? And that made me start thinking about other industries and is there anything like this out there? And I did some research, and this was all a little bit later because I was a pretty young guy at that time. Just later, it stuck with me. You know, the whole concept stuck with me till I was well into my 30s. <laughs> and that's when I finally started it. And so you started College Bound as something that you noticed that companies were missing out. So they didn't have anything that basically tied their employees to their companies, especially if they were in some sort of devastating situation that took them out of a traditional job. So is that what a Section 127 plan does, and how does it do that? Well, Section 127 isn't based on somebody having something go wrong in their life and then following a track and having okay. a track set up. So it isn't really that. It was more my drive or my passion came from that situation, but it was more looking at, geez, you know, it's funny that these employers who rely so heavily on part-time employees who are pretty much 25 years old and younger, and the entire industry has incredibly high turnover. And for me, it was more a matter of this is something that employers could use, these educational assistance benefits, to impact a specific group of people that make up a large percentage of their workforce. And for me, you know, the passion came from the accident, but the idea of using educational benefits revolved more around this is a problem that employers have in general with this young age group that they don't keep them in place very long. And educational benefits are really the way to go because for kids at that age group, they don't care about health insurance. You know, they don't care about 401k. You know, they're covered under their parents' health insurance. They're not thinking about retirement. They think for a week at a time. But college is the next thing in their life. So that's one thing that they are thinking about when they're 17, 18 years old. And just, you know, how am I going to pay for it? I know my parents are going to help. I might get some financial aid, but I know it's going to be expensive. And, of course, parents are thinking very much about that issue when their kids are at 16, 17, 18 years old. So, you know, you've got two groups of people thinking real hard about this subject, and you've got corporate America kind of asleep at the switch when it comes to helping the young people that they rely upon to take the next step in their lives. Okay. I always talk about a partnership. So it's a partnership between parents, students, and employers. But how does it work for each of the various different entities, the parents, the students, and the employers? Sure. I like to use an analogy when it comes to how does it work for parents and kids. If you think about high school kids who are in sports, sports is very important in our culture. And it also gives kids a track to run on. And kids can use sports 
to keep them on track and keep them on track all the way into college, even though they might not be playing Division One college ball in one area or another. They might not have that talent level, but it kept them on track. Parents are pretty committed to their kids' sports when they're in high school. They'll get up at 4 in the morning and drive their kids you know, halfway across the state to an AAU basketball tournament. And so what I wanted to do for employers was give them an idea that you can get that same kind of commitment and passion that parents and kids have to sports directed at your job if you just give them a reason to have that commitment and passion for your job. And the biggest reason that these folks all are dealing with right now is how are we going to pay for college? For the kids, it's more a matter of what's the next step. They're not thinking as hard about the cost of college. But for mom and dad, they're thinking about how are we going to pay college from the time their kids are 16 or 15 or 14 on. Many parents are thinking about it from the time their kids are two or three. They're starting to save money, and how are we going to do this? So for the employer, if the employer is able to put up that benefit money and say to a young kid and to that kid's parents, look, we want you to come to work for us, and we want you to stay longer than the typical higher stays, which is nine or ten months. We want to keep you until you start your internship in your senior year of college. And what we're going to do to give you that incentive is we're going to pay off six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars worth of your tuition costs, either through paying off your loans or through paying your tuition directly, if you stick with us and you just earn a certain amount of money every year that you stay with us to pay for your future tuition costs. So that's a way for a business to build a little commitment and a little loyalty from the family, both from the kids and from the parents. Well, as a business owner, I could definitely see the benefit that would provide having a employee that you've basically trained in a position stay with you for more than the normal nine to ten months would be a huge benefit. So what types of companies implement these types of plans? Well, if you think about the age group that we're trying to impact, which is 25 years old and younger, basically, kids can go to work depending on the state. Some kids can start working at a traditional job at 14. Other states, you know, it really isn't realistic until the kids are 16. So any employer that, oh, say the Burger King or a Subway owner, you know, an IHOP restaurant or any other type of sit-down restaurant, hotel, motel groups, the grocery industry, the long-term care and nursing home care industry, the retail industry, you know, the Walmarts and the Pennies and so on, any industry that works with a high number of young people in their deal. If you think about each of those industries that I mentioned, most of them, their workforce is made up of anywhere from 50% to 80%, 25 and under employees. I mean, they run a huge percentage of their operation is run by people in this age group. If you think about that from an employer's perspective, some employers don't think about this, but if 80% of your employees are 25 years or younger and they're turning over 20 every 10 months, then 80% of your sales, 80% of your operational effectiveness is driven by this group of people that comes and goes every 10 months. So really, how effective can your operation be? How good can your return on investment be? if 80% of your operation is driven by a group of people who don't care about your company? That's a question that employers have to ask themselves. So educational assistance program can help develop a group of people who are committed to a company because they are helping them meet the high cost of college. Yeah, the employers understand in this age group that these are not people who are going to be career people with us. I mean, some will. 
I had a nephew get hired by McDonald's today. I told him, you know, there's nothing wrong with a fast food job because people might look at that as a low tech job and it doesn't have much for you. But I assure you that the guy who owns 15 McDonald's restaurants doesn't look at it as a low tech job. They find it very important to have people work in their counter. Every job has its strengths and weaknesses. So that's important for people to think about. It definitely sounds like something that employers will get benefit from and students and their families also. So how would you characterize the benefits to the business for setting up a plan, an educational assistance program? The big benefit to the business is just if they can take their average length of service for example, as I mentioned, that age group's average length of service over the last 15 years, based on a you know a Department of Labor study that's been ongoing for 15 years, they've surveyed millions of households, and the average person in that age group stays 10 and a half months. So there's a limited amount of productivity, a limited amount of institutional awareness that you can get out of somebody who's with you that long. If you're able to get your average length of service up to four or five years, and I'll give you a perfect example, two of the highest sales dairy queens in the state of Minnesota are clients of College Bound. And part of the reason they have such high sales is not only because of College Bound, but it's a big part because if you run a restaurant that has rushes where you know you have a noon rush hour, uh, lunch hour rush, and then you have a rush of people who are stopping in after a sporting event where it's a whole busload of people, the quicker you can serve people and move on to the next person, the more people you can run through your drive through in an hour, the greater your sales are going to be. So if you have a bunch of people who are brand new, each sale takes, you know, 38, 40 seconds. If you have a group of people who are well-trained, have been around for a long time, know what's going on, each sale can take, you know, an average of 19 seconds. Well, over a span of time, in terms of months and years, there's a reason why companies can increase their sales if they have people who know what's going on. There are lower food costs because people don't goof up orders. You know, when you're brand new, you screw up orders. That's just a fact yes, of life do. in the restaurant industry. You know, right, you can't true. get around it. So if you're not new, you can serve more tables. You know, for a waiter who comes into the restaurant industry, they might be assigned a couple of tables when they start because that's really all they can handle. But a well-trained waiter or waitress can handle 10 tables. Well, if that's the case and you've got mostly new people who can only handle two or three tables at a time, number one, you're scheduling more people per shift to manage your numbers that come through your restaurant than you really need to. But you have to do that because you've got five people who are new and they can only handle two tables, and you've got five people who are trained and they can handle 10 apiece. Right. So there's a huge difference in impact. And then the other things that people don't think about maybe is that, you know, your equipment gets beat up bad by people who come and go. Cleanliness of your operation is not as good as it could be. If you've got people who care, they want the restaurant to look good. They want the hotel to look good. So there are multiple different levels of impact for the employer. Well, it sounds like it's a good thing for the employers. Is there a downside of a program like this for employers, students, or parents? Well, I mean, I think there can be a downside in that, you know, if a kid commits, works two or three years for an employer, and then never goes on to school. Okay. Or goes on to school and then quits after six months because they just decide that they're not cut out for it. 
they might have accrued 4000 in benefits and only could use 1000 and mm. you can't take it in cash. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's for tuition only. You know, there might be a little bit of a negative there. For parents, I can think of a negative in that sometimes a kid might stay at a job longer than they should. Maybe they really do need to take the next step and take that job that's a little more intellectually challenging. Okay. But they hold off on making that change because of this benefit that they've got, which I obviously think it's a good deal, but maybe there are some kids that should move on. So that might be a bit of a downside. For the employer, you've got a group of kids who come into the program, and then you've got other kids and employees who don't, and they feel like they're being slighted because these kids are in college bound. And, you know, I'm not going to college. What do I get? There is some of that, and you have to manage that. But that's part of being a business owner. Is it a benefit that employers can give to one group of students versus other, or is it just some students will elect to be part of the program and other students will not? It's the latter. You make an offer to your employees and say, this is something that we're providing. Everyone can participate and you are either participating or you are not. So you make the choice as to whether or not you want to sign up for this college-bound program. And I encourage every kid that I come across at the employer to sign up because they have nothing to lose. There are no employer dollars or employee dollars going into these plans. I tell the kids, nothing's coming out of your paycheck. You don't get paid any less because you're in college-bound versus not in college-bound. You're not going to be treated any differently. So accrue this money. And if you end up going to college or tech school, great. You got your employer kicking in a few thousand bucks to pay for tuition. If you don't, well, it didn't cost you anything. Nothing came out of your pocket. So you might not get the benefit that was extra, but it didn't cost you anything either. So I try and encourage every kid to sign up, whether they think they're going to go on to college or not, because I've had multiple kids say, nah, you know, I'll sign up, but I'm never going to use it. And lo and behold, they end up going on to get a master's degree. Because at 16, 17, they don't really know, oftentimes, really what they're going to do. And life changes, and they start to make different sorts of choices. Now, did I hear you say that you can use this at trade schools and at traditional two-year and four-year colleges? Absolutely. So any type of school that students are considering attending, they could use these educational assistance programs for. Is that correct? It's correct. It could be a four-year degree. You could be going for a two-year associate's degree. It could be a trade school. It could be a certificate program. You know, you're not going to college, but you're really good with computers and you want to get Microsoft certified. Well, we can pay for those courses, no problem. Anything that leads to a degree or certificate of some kind or that puts you on the path towards a degree can be paid for. So, you know, this sounds really good. But as a business owner, I had never heard of these sorts of things before, Mm -hmm. these educational assistance programs. And so the cynical person in me is asking, is this sort of thing really legitimate? Is this something that I really can do? And how would I go about doing it? I know, of course, they can go and use your program and have you administer them. But how does it really work more at the granule level? And will I get in trouble with the IRS for putting in a program like this? (laughs) Yeah, everybody has to worry about uncle. There's no question about it. Code section 127 is just like, I use the analogy of the 401k. The 401k is just a section of the tax code that allows for employees to put money away pre-tax and for employers to match them. 
127 is just a section of the tax code that allows employers to provide tax-exempt benefits to employees for qualified education expenses. So to your point of, you know, is this something that's legitimate? Well, 127 has been in the tax code since 1978, so it's been around for 30 years. Okay. So it's definitely earned its stripes over time. Most companies, the focus in the early years of 127 was companies like IBM and Hewlett-Packard and, you know, the really big players that you know about where they want to help their full-time employees go back and get a complete a bachelor's degree or to get a master's degree or to get a Ph.D. And they used it because we want to attract and keep the best talent at that level, at the adult career level. So initially that was really how it was written. And then companies started looking at it to say, well, how could we use this for younger people? And we were, College Bound was one of the first companies in the country that took this benefit down to the actual high school age kid, wrote a program that allowed for an accrual of benefits. And the code allows for people to accrue a benefit and then collect it, even if they're no longer working for that employer, as long as it's qualified tuition and the reason for that benefit accruing was them working for the employer. So the employers have multiple ways that they can set these plans up. Obviously, you know, there's a lot to administering the plans because you have to have a qualified plan document because it is a qualified plan. There's an okay. exemption here. So the IRS expects employers to follow a very specific set of rules if you're going to run one of these programs. So you have to have a plan document. You have to have a claims procedure that's understandable so that people know how I can collect my money. In the plan document, it has to be clear how they get to accrue their money and what they have to do for that accrual. It has to be clear that here's your timeline. You can accrue benefits, and then you can collect them over this period of time, and then if you don't collect them, you're going to forfeit. So there are multiple things that have to be done at the front end. And then when claims come due... There are multiple things that have to be thought through for claims. In other words, if you have a student come to you as an employer to file a claim... So let me just interrupt for a second. So you and Mm -hmm. I understand claims, but not Mm -hmm. all of our listeners necessarily understand claims. Claims would be when the student is trying to get the money out to pay for college. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So, So it comes time for the young man or young woman who has worked at the employer for a number of years. They've vested their benefit. And that means they're not going to lose their benefit. They get to use it for sure because they've been to the employer long enough. Okay. They come to the employer and say, I got a tuition bill here. I want you to pay it. Well, that's what I consider or call a claim. When a student comes and says, I want a check. I've got $5,000 in here. I've got a $2,000 tuition bill here. I want you to pay it. Well, at that point in time, the employer has multiple things they have to think through and information that they have to gather to be sure that they are not double reimbursing a student for a benefit. So in other words, if the student has a full financial aid package from the school and through Pell Grants and other free money sources, all of their tuition is paid for, all of their books are paid for, we can't pay them anything okay? because they have no out-of-pocket expense for that tuition bill. So in other words, it can't be something where the student's collecting money and they don't have to pay it along to somebody else for an educational benefit. So what I heard you say was that this is for tuition and fees. So it wouldn't be to live in a nice apartment. They couldn't also (laughs) use this money to live in a nice apartment. 
no, or to buy a car or any of those sorts of things. It really is designed for educational benefits. It's designed to pay for tuition fees, books, and supplies. Okay. So, so maybe and, a and computer, but not could, necessarily room and board. Well, it can't pay for room and board, and it can't pay for a computer unless it's a computer that is leased through the school. In other words, the student can't maintain any value out of that computer once they leave school. If they can take the computer with them and continue to use it and it continues to provide them with value, you can't use the benefit to pay for that. You can pay for the lease payment to the school, but that means you don't get to keep that computer. So I was going to ask you, why hasn't my accountant told me about implementing this sort of plan? Because it seems like it'd be a big benefit to me. But from everything that you just told me right before that, I can <laughs> see why my accountant wouldn't, because this seems to be, correct me if I'm wrong, a pretty specialized type of program. And people could really perhaps get into a little bit of trouble if they were trying to implement it on their own. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, most CPAs are recorders of history. That's their job, is to record history. What happened? What did we account for? What tax do we have to pay? The profession is not always necessarily a forward-looking profession. It tends to look back. That's not a negative thing. That's just the nature of the profession is recording history. What you're doing when you set these plans up is you're expecting that you're going to have people come into the plan and provide a benefit in the future. And for the typical CPA firm, if they specialize in helping employers account for qualified plans, there's a good chance that they'd say, sure, we can help you set one of these up. It's just like anything else. It's not really rocket science. It's just that you have to drill down and know what's going on within the code and what the requirements are. And they're not really complex. They're just, you have to know them. And if you're a firm that does not work with qualified plans, then you'd probably not be all that optimistic about helping the employer and maybe would kind of downplay a little bit because if you're a CPA in that area, and you know that you're going to spend a lot of time researching this for your client and it might not be time you can actually bill for. So you're not all that motivated to help them get that plan set up. I don't mean that as a negative either. It's simply part of life. If you're not familiar with something, it's easier to avoid it. So this sounds really good, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering, are these plans easy to implement? I know that you talked about some of the factors that employers are setting up plans needs to put in place to make sure that the programs work appropriately according to Section 127 of the tax code. Mm -hmm. But as an employer, I'm not looking to add to my aggravation in any way, shape, or form. I don't mind setting up these types of programs. But if it means that, you know, I'm going to have to spend three hours every day working on managing these types of programs, then I'm not going to be particularly interested. So could you tell me a little bit more about the implementation from the employer standpoint? I'm hoping you're going to tell me it's very easy to implement. And then I'm also interested in what's the ultimate cost to me? Because if I'm going to pay $1,000 for a kid's education, then I'm thinking I need to be putting away $1,000 for the kids' education. So could you tell me a little bit more about ease of implementation as well as the cost factor to me? And tell me why it makes sense for an employer in terms of the dollars spent. Well, as far as ease of implementation, I mean, if an employer goes with a firm like mine where 
our whole job is to implement these plans for employers, then it's relatively easy for them. In the case of my employers that I target, and really for any employer, but especially for the employers I target, the toughest decision for them to make is the leadership decision. Because everything else is simple because I take care of everything else. All they have to do is make the decision, identify the amount of money that they can commit, and then provide me with quarterly payroll information through a staff person that I contact once a quarter. So for the typical leadership position person, the typical CEO, president, owner, sole proprietor, and so on, they don't have a lot of things that they have to do to implement one of these plans. All I ask my clients to do is make the commitment, help me promote it internally by, you know, incenting your managers to let's make every effort to help Jim get in touch with the kids that work for us. And that means providing their information when they're hired. That's a step that somebody has to take. I need to get payroll information every quarter so that I can report benefits that are accrued. But for the most part, it's not that difficult to implement. And then it's not that difficult to manage because once a quarter, sending payroll information out to the college-bound company is pretty easy. You export that information to an Excel spreadsheet from paychecks and off it goes. Now you and had to I do it anyways because you have to report that stuff to the IRS. So it's exactly. not like you're recreating the wheel. It's already information that you already have and you already have access to. So it's really just giving it to you as well as giving it to the taxing authorities. Exactly. You're exactly right, Felicia. So it's information that's readily available and that a staff person is tasked with dealing with already. So you're not having to add an extra layer of administration because of this. But the toughest decision for an owner in the businesses that I target, which are hospitality, retail, grocery, people that work with that age group of young kids, preteens and college age, the toughest thing is helping them identify what they spend on this broken, inefficient business model that they're running when it comes to hiring entry-level people. And I say that deliberately. It is a broken, inefficient, ineffective business model that they run. The problem is, is that you can make money on that business model. I mean, you right. can turn people over every 10 months and run a subway and still make money. I mean, it's been proven. There's a billion subways in the world. So my most difficult decision for the owner is, how much does that model cost you? If you have to advertise, interview, hire, orient, uniform, train, and ultimately turn 100 people a year, every year, year in and year out, to keep 100 positions filled so that you can have sandwiches going out the door, what does that model cost you? Okay, you know it costs you some hard costs because of advertising for help, training people when they're extra, when you don't need them there, but you're training them so they're there, and uniform costs and all those silly things that come into turnover cost. But what's the other cost involved? Well, those are harder to pin down. What I tell employers is, look, let's take a look at your payroll record history. Let's go back as far as we can, four, five, six, seven years, and let's see how long your average 25 and under employees stayed with your company. And I'll ask an employer that. I'll say, how long do you think your average kid stays with you? And they'll say, I don't know, a couple years. You know, we keep them through high school. And I'll just kind of grin internally and think, "Uh uh-huh, you bet. Let's look at that. And what they find out is that their average kid stays eight months or nine months. And what happens is employers remember the really good kids because they're the kids that actually stuck around. Right. 
So they remember those 10 or 12 kids that actually stuck for two, three years. They don't remember the 350 kids they had to hire to keep the other 85 positions filled over the last two years. So when I can get an employer to look at five years worth of payroll records, number one, they're aghast at the low level of commitment that they get and the loyalty that they have. And then I ask them to look at, you know, what are your hard costs of turnover? Let's figure it out. Let's interview two or three of your top managers. Let's sit down and go through a questionnaire with them to determine what you do spend on turnover. What are your hard costs? There are a 100 studies in your industry that tell you what the impact to the bottom line is of turnover. But what's your number? And then using that number, along with the average length of service, I can determine that that employer can commit X amount of money per year per position in benefit and be revenue neutral if I can get their average length of service up to two or three times what it was. In other words, I don't look to try and get an employer in the business like the restaurant industry or especially the grocery industry, where the grocery industry, I mean, they work on a margin that's, you know, half of 1%. Right. They can't afford to spend more money than they already do in human resources costs. So what I get them to identify is this business model that you're running is high turnover model. What does that cost you? And then let's take the money that you're spending there and let's commit it to a model that says, if we get this result, these dollars are no longer to be spent on hiring new people every year. They're going to be spent four, five, six years in the future paying tuition bills for kids who are still here. We keep it revenue neutral. That's my whole goal for employers is I want to be revenue neutral. I don't want to cost you any money. I don't want to save you a ton of money. I just want to take the money you're currently spending on this really negative, bad business model, and I want to put it into a really positive loyalty model. Well, I think when you get employers to look at their numbers in terms of what are my hard costs for retraining all of these employees and also get them to take a look at how long people really stay, I think that sounds like two numbers that really will help sell the program. So I know that you've been doing this for a number of years. You've had college bound for a number of years. My next question is, could you tell me some stories of companies that you've been able to implement this with and the results that have kind of come out of that? Sure. I think the best example I have is here in Minnesota. I have two of the top sales Dairy Queens in the state of Minnesota. And one of those Dairy Queens is one of the top grossing Dairy Queens in the entire country. And that Dairy Queen owner is outselling all the southern Dairy Queens that have warm weather all year, except for one. Okay. He's a Dairy Queen that's in Minnesota. So he's in a cold weather state and he's outselling everybody else in the country except for one other DQ. And he's doing that not only a lot of good reasons that he's a good manager and he's a very good owner. And both the guys that I have running this with, with these two DQs in particular, are very good owners and they treat their people real well. But they also average five years of service with their employees. So where were they before they got started with you? Do you remember back when they first got started? They now have people who stay for five years. And that sounds extraordinary for a fast food, if you will, restaurant for employees to stay on average, you know, 25 and under, to stay for five years, that seems pretty extraordinary. Do you remember where they were when they first got started? Both of them were around nine months of service, one season, one season of service that you get out of your typical kid. And I should clarify, too, college-bound employees give them an average of five years of service. Not everybody signs up. Okay. 
I'd love to be able to say I can get everybody, but I typically will get, you know, probably 75% of their kids in that age group all get signed up for college bound. So they still have some turnover. Right. But the kids who sign up for college bound, in fact, my entire plan, my average is almost five years of service for kids who come into college bound. And what's very interesting for employers to see when they do actually look at it is not only are the top end kids where you've got top end performance, where you're really good kids, you keep them until they get a full-time job somewhere after college. I mean, they just are the best kids, the best performers. And you don't just have two or three of those kids. You have 15 of those kids that are absolute top performers maybe 20. just depends on the number of employees, the positions that you open it up to. At the lower end, where you used to have to hire multiple people and they'd come and go in, in three months, so your average at the low end was you kept people for three and a half months. My average terminated employee stays like 15 months. So even though they don't vest a benefit and they leave, the average person who leaves stays like four times as long as the average person who comes and goes within a year the low end gets impacted really dramatically as well. In other words, they don't have as many kids who come and go in two weeks or a month. They have a we're lot We're trying more to get money for prom. <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. My one DQ owner, I love the guy. He's a great guy, and he made a comment not too long ago that I thought was outstanding. He says, yep, he goes, I don't hire anymore. He goes, I go out and I recruit because I only have to hire you know, a small number of kids every spring. So I spend a lot of time just trying to find the best ones. Right. And I got a story to tell them. <laughs> right. That's a perfect analogy. You know, he no longer has to hire, he recruits. He's like okay. a college sports recruiter. <laughs> well, I mean, when you think about it from an employer's standpoint, we would all like to be in the position where we are recruiting staff as opposed to hiring staff because it's a different mentality when you are recruiting. I know that I've had interns who've helped me recruit because I don't have to look for the next intern. So as the intern is getting ready to leave, he's already told his friends and family. They're all waiting for him to go off to college or her to go off to college so that they could perhaps step into that same role. So it really makes a big difference for employers because they already have an expectation coming in of what they can expect, and they're already planning on staying for as long as possible in their mindset as they come into my place of business as an employer. So it makes a huge, huge difference. Oh, Felicia, there is no question. And if you think about it as an employer, long term, your job is to sell product. Who is going to be more effective and more profitable for you, the kid who comes and goes in five months or the kid who comes and stays for five years? Pretty obvious, the kid who stays for five years. It's obvious. And yet companies aren't knocking down the door to get to me. (laughs) I can guarantee you that. I still have to go out and fight for business. The problem is, I mentioned earlier, it's a business model that if you're running a burger shop or whatever, you can make money just burning through employees and just you know bringing a body in and bringing the next body in because they're not complex jobs. It doesn't take a high level of skill to come in as an entry-level employee. It does take a lot of skill and loyalty and commitment to actually help your employer drive sales. I heard an interesting statistic at this workshop that I was at this weekend. We've all heard the statistic that 95% of new businesses that start are out of business in five years. But mm-hmm. the other side of it is 95% of franchises are still in business five years after they get started. So one mm-hmm. of the things that I've heard you say again and again in this conversation is you 
can have a business that is broken and not working as efficiently as possible. And if you were following the franchise concept, which is one of the markets that you were really trying to make a difference in, they can run their business successfully without your program. But I would say that it seems to me that if their end goal is to be a multiple franchise owner who is taking as much out of the business as they're investing into it, then a program like yours could really make a huge difference. Reducing the turnover would make a huge difference in their bottom line prospects. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this interview because I was thinking that there's a number of employers out there that just need to know about this. Just introduce them to this concept. Some will see it and some will not, but if you can have more and more employers who are seeing the benefit of implementing an employee assistance program into their business, then what a difference it could make to their ultimate bottom line. Yeah, absolutely, Felicia. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that you know, 95% of franchised operations are still in business after five years. And the main reason for that is that they are running on a track. Okay, somebody already made all the mistakes. <laughs> so they've got a success track to run on. And even if they don't do everything right, that track, that plan, will keep them to the point where they can make money. So what I tell employers is that college-bound is a planned turnover. It's not random turnover. It's a long-term hiring and retention strategy focused on a group of people that you know are not going to be career people, but that run 70 to 80% of your operations. And you can either run it having random turnover that is really negative and destructive, or you can have planned managed turnover. And there's a huge difference between those two. And then when you talk about performance, many of the listeners here today might remember a book called The Service Profit Chain. That was a seminal business management book that was written by some professors at Harvard Business School. And they did studies on just a number of businesses, and they did multiple interviews and had gobs of information that they received. And they had companies that focused on and placed a high value on retaining employees and building loyalty had customer satisfaction rates that were double their competitors. They had growth rates that were two and 300% greater than direct competitors. They had return on sales that were double and triple direct competitors and returns on assets that were 150 to 300% greater than their direct competitors. So there are significant impacts that can be made financially by gaining loyalty. One of the things I like to ask people lately is because, you know, if Warren Buffett makes an investment decision, do you think that's a decision you should probably know about? Yes. If Walmart has made an operational decision and they're going to invest $50 million in something, do you think that's something you should know about as a business owner? Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, Walmart and UPS and Chick-fil-A and Wegmans Grocers are four of the most successful companies in the country, and two of them on the planet. (laughs) I mean, Walmart's the biggest employer on the planet, right? Right. They have come to the conclusion that they need to do something about their entry-level workforce because they can't keep people. So they have initiated a $50 million three-year experimental program doing exactly what we've been talking about, educating entry-level people to keep some loyalty on track. UPS has doubled the average length of service in their packing centers by using educational assistance benefits 
directed at this age group of people. Chick-fil-A, every restaurant company owner, every fast food owner has heard of Chick-fil-A. And the reason they've heard of Chick-fil-A is 42 straight years of sales growth. Probably the most successful privately held franchise company in the country. They've been giving away millions of dollars in educational benefits to the point where 65% of their franchisees are people who started for them in high school. (laughs) Wow. It definitely sounds like an extraordinary program and something that employers should take a look at. So if people wanted additional information, how would they get a hold of you, Jim? Well, they could email me. I'm at jim at collegeboundinc.com. That's just jim at c-o-l-l-e-g-e-b-o-u-n-d-i-n-c.com. Or they can call me. I'm at 952-236-8258. And that's my office number, 952-236-8258. So through those two venues, they can get a hold of me. For an employer who's thinking about it, I will tell them that it's relatively easy to get together the data to make a decision. The tough thing is actually making the decision. Well, I think that's always the case as business owners. Mm -hmm. It can be a little bit challenging for us to make decisions, but you've definitely made the case today for why we need to consider adding educational assistance programs to what we're doing in order to retain employees. I loved what you kept on saying, and it's a great way to attract and retain employees. I could definitely see the benefits even in my small business of implementing a program like this. And I think that business owners who hear this conversation today will definitely be intrigued and want to know a little bit more. Could you tell us also what your website is there, Jim? It's collegeboundinc.com. That's collegeboundinc.com. That's Jim Northam. And I've gotten a lot of benefit out of being on the phone with you. You've definitely taught me a lot about the Section 127 Plan Educational Assistance Program. And I'll be looking for a follow-up conversation where we talk about using these sorts of plans for small business owners who are looking to help pay for their kids' education. That will be the next time I talk to Jim Northam of College Bound, Inc. Thank you very much for your time today. Again, that's Jim Northram of College Bound, Inc. That's www.collegeboundinc.com. And Jim, give me your email and phone number again, please. Sure. It's jim at collegeboundinc.com. And phone is 952-236-8258. All right. Thank you very much for being on the phone today. Excellent, Felicia. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you will join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast. 